Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sile Polani. As the world continues to be confronted by socio-economic challenges, injustices and cries for change, there is a growing conversation about the need for an evolution of our understanding of leadership and advancement of how bridges can be built to meaningfully deepen the connection and collaboration between communities and governments. Joining me for today's conversation is Estra Ambrister-Roll, who is the Bahamas Consul General to Atlanta, Georgia. Her office has jurisdiction and accreditation in 10 states in the U.S. Southeast. Roll is a non-profit professional, a fierce advocate for sustainable, community-centered economic development for her country, and has served as the Consul General for the Bahamas in Atlanta since November 2017. Her passion and determination for community development are evident in her work, which has been highlighted in major national and international media houses. She earned a proclamation from the Atlanta City Council to recognize her humanitarian efforts in the Hurricane Dorian crisis. Roll's leadership has also been acknowledged internationally. She currently holds membership on several boards, including the Carter Center Advisory Board and the World Trade Center Atlanta. She has been featured on panels for the International Black Women in Public Policy Institute, the Congressional Black Caucus, and has addressed audiences across the United States and the Caribbean. She is a visionary leader who is dedicated to playing her part in improving the social, political, and economic environment in the Bahamas, and to a greater extent, the world. Astra, thank you so much for joining me on The Workplace Revolution. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about your professional background and how you ended up in public service. So most of my professional career has been in nonprofit management. I spent a long time working and gaining experience in the Canadian university system as a fundraising professional. Mm. I loved my time in the university system and the work that I did to support the continuation of programs and the growth of the school. Uh, I returned to the Bahamas in 2015 and began working then for the, the largest environmental nonprofit organization in the country. The name is the Bahamas National Trust, uh, and it's an NGO that manages the national park system of our country. Mm. It was there that I believe that I kind of solidified my love for the Bahamas. Mm. Um, sometimes when you're a citizen, you don't necessarily feel as emotional about your, your birthplace mm. as you can when, when you move away. Mm. And so I think reconnecting with the country um, and being a part of a nonprofit organization that stretch the length and breadth of our archipelago really kind of tugged at my heart. Mm. I visited nearly every island in the country's archipelago, and I got a close-up and personal feel for the wildlife and the beauty of the country. Mm. And it was in that role that I renewed my commitment to the, the Bahamas and its development. Mm. And then shortly after returning home, I got involved in politics and that eventually led me to where I am today as Consul General. Mm. Now, the work that you do has quite a large focus on youth. What are some of the challenges that are faced by Bahamian youth? And how do you effectively, within your role, engage uh, with them to be able to be able to develop feasible and sustainable solutions? 
So young people in the Bahamas today are still challenged predominantly by the lack of inclusion mm. uh, in our in our major decision-making processes. I think second um, would be the increasing rates of youth unemployment. Mm. So young people age uh, 15 to 24 in our country mm. at times make up as high as 23% of the workforce mm. that is actively looking for work but are unable to find jobs. So that's a very vexing problem in the country. Mm. Uh, the spin-off complications of this can be profound if you think of things like crime and underground employment. Mm. Um and then another key issue is equal access to tertiary education. Right. That's an issue in our country that the, our administration has been working to address. Mm. Recently, our government rolled out universal education um, to the country for all citizens who are 35 years and younger. Mm. I think it'll go a long way in breaking down some of the persistent barriers that we have, uh, particularly the one um, in regards to finding gainful employment. Mm. And then to the second part of your question, mm. how can we engage young people? Mm. Um, and more specifically, how do I engage young people? I think uh, at the consulate, we have a very heavy focus on education and bridging uh, the gap. So there are many Bahamians who live in rural communities who are brilliant and um, would probably fare very well in international university systems, but they never get the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so part of the work of the consulate was to foster relationships with the educational institutions in the Southeastern United States to provide more opportunities for Bahamians to gain experience internationally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is one of the ways that we've tried to do our part. But I think um, in the country as a whole, Again, it goes back to this idea of inclusion mm -hmm. if you want to make meaningful, sustained change. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's still a lot of tokenism that occurs today um, when we speak about youth involvement in the Bahamas. In some ways, we still struggle to understand each other from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, those of us that do sit in decision-making positions, I think we understand the importance of youth. But I think there still exists this barrier to communication or maybe a fear. I'm not entirely sure which one it is yet, but there's mm. still something that kind of hinders uh, a peaceful relationship between the young and the not so young in the country. Mm. Um, I think maybe uh, I mentioned before that a bit of it is fear, but I believe that if we can overcome those hesitations, mm. uh, young people can be a, a vital asset to our country. Mm, absolutely. I mean, that's something that is definitely relatable for me as a South African because there is a very big disconnect between, you know, uh, government, uh, politics and and young people um, in South Africa. There's, you know, we share a lot of similar issues, you know, uh, the lack of inclusion is a major issue here. Um, the country's history of, you know, inequality, you know, from apartheid, you know, the lack of access for for black communities to quality education, to quality health care. A lot of those issues, we're still dealing with the repercussions of that, you know, 25, 26 years after democracy. Um, and the other thing is really around the distrust that is, you know, I guess just being amplified the distrust that exists between young people who are part of the population and the government um 
I know from from our perspective, there's definitely been a lot of challenges around political apathy amongst the younger demographics. Uh, what is the political and civic environment like um, with Bahamian youth? Um, and how do we work to to deepen the interest and the participation from those young groups? I mean, you had mentioned fear as one of the challenges um, that could contribute to the disconnect. Um, but what are some of the other ways or the other issues that you think may be preventing people from actively being involved in in, in politics and engaging uh, with, with civic leaders? I think the Bahamas is a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to overall participation in politics. Culturally, we it's our second pastime to mm-hmm. sit under a tree and talk either to the older folks about um, what it was like in their days to be engaged in politics. But the country is is one of the few countries in the world that is highly engaged. Um, mm-hmm. In our last general election, our overall v- voter turnout was about 86%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so young people are finding ways to make it to the polls. They're mm-hmm. participating in the vote. But the problem is that we're not seeing this participation translate into their involvement in governance and policy. Mm-hmm. So we have to strengthen our systems for mentorship, training, and experience through participation and governance for our young people. Mm. We really have to have the conversation to break down the barriers to access for youth. Mm. Absolutely. Now, politics have predominantly been considered a space for men uh, for centuries, but we're seeing more women now um, in the political space, but the numbers are still low, um, especially, uh, you know, as you go further and further up the ranks, um, looking at the senior positions. What has your experience been like as a young woman in politics? I think I, I would start off by saying that it's been rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I've surprised myself uh, in my ability to do the job and to stand proudly in rooms where there's no one else that looks like me. Mm. So I'm proud of myself for for being able to do that. But I think I would be lying if I said that it has been easy. Mm. Um, I long for the day where I walk into the room and see more than one woman in the room. Mm. Uh, I believe there's strength in numbers and that women were equipped from day one to handle the kind of pressure that is required in these roles mm. so it's not been easy uh, there are microaggressions and sometimes there's even overt sexism mm. that's a very real um, and commonplace thing sometimes in, in my experience uh, I come from a country that is in a lot of ways still very traditional um, I wouldn't use the word misogyny, but I think I think there are remnants of that that still exist. Mm. Um, for example, a woman in a role of leadership has to still prove herself. She still mm. has to explain and show why she belongs in the seat. Mm. And even if she is succeeding or um, a, a male, she could be more qualified she could be more educated but she still has to prove why she deserves to be in the seat whereas Mm. a male would just automatically be accepted his Mm. authority is never questioned um, and he's given the full respect of the office Mm. 
and and I think that we still struggle with that in my country today and I'd love to see a change and I'm here and I'm hoping that my space and me taking up the space in the room helps that to change even faster. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something that I think is probably cuts across different industries because we see that in the private sector as well. Um, and to take it even further, it even goes down to women needing to look a certain way in order for them to be paid attention to or to be listened to. Um, and when, and I mean, we're seeing this a lot now in South Africa, you know, with um, everything that's been happening with the pandemic, um, you know, when people are unhappy about uh, certain legislation that, the, you know, the government has put in place, the attacks um, that are directed towards one of our ministers, who's a woman, are very different to the attacks that are, you know, directed at the men, you know, um, and it's actually, it's so blatant and it's actually quite frustrating that we are still dealing with this level of um, abuse towards women in the workplace, you know, um, regardless of how experienced they are, regardless of how long they've been doing this or what a great job that they are doing in that particular role. The attacks are always so personal when people are unhappy with decisions that are taken by women. Right. Um, so for people who may not be familiar with your role, what does a consul general do? So a consul general is an official representative of the government of one state that's residing in the territory of another. Mm. Normally working to assist and protect the citizens of our own countries and to facilitate trade and friendship between the people of the two countries. Mm. So in my role here in the Southeastern United States, I'm the senior most diplomat, the most senior diplomat for the Bahamas. And I focus heavily on the relationships um, with educational institutions, engaging with the Bahamian diaspora and providing assistance with bureaucratic issues to both citizens of the Bahamas as well as the US. Okay. And what kind of world do you envision for future generations? And what kind of leadership do you think will help us attain that? Um, I envision a world that is more fair and equitable. Mm. One that places more value on human life than it does on our commodities. Mm. Um, I have a three-year-old son, and I always pray that future generations will love and respect our environment more than we have. Mm. Um, I want my son and his kids to grow up in the Bahamas and to have the same life that I had when I was growing up. Mm. And today, with the change in our climate and all the other insecurities around the world that we live in, I fear that that may not be a possibility for him. Mm. So I pray that they're gifted with the tools and the knowledge that they need to reverse the decline of our natural spaces and our species. And I also envision a world where we judge each other less harshly and respect and value individuality and uniqueness more. Mm. And I think female leadership can help us get there. Mm. I think as women, we have a holistic approach to just about everything we do in our lives. Uh, we are caretakers, but we're also disciplinarians. We understand the value of each member of the family and to a larger extent, the society. So 
I think female leadership can help us gain a lot more ground than we have in the past. Mm. And what are some of your challenges been as a leader? I mean, you know, we all know that under normal circumstances, leadership will for sure bring along some challenges that you need to deal with. Um, but now we've also added the pandemic to the mix, which has brought on, you know, a whole host of other challenges for leaders. What have some of the challenges that stand out the most for you been? And how have you managed to navigate those? Or what lessons have you learned from them? Hmm. I think I would give you an example of one of my greatest challenges. I think the passing of Hurricane Dorian hmm. was a very, very challenging time in my professional career. I had to take the role of more of a community leader uh, because I was here in, in the southeastern U.S. and watching on TV all of the events that were unfolding in the country. Mm. And shortly thereafter, the media just exploded with, you know, visuals of the country, of people's homes being destroyed, people's lives being completely decimated. Um, and while emotionally it was very difficult for me to reconcile, I had to be strong for the people from the Bahamas who live in my jurisdiction. But also, I didn't realize how many lovers of my country there were. Mm. We had so many friends of the Bahamas who were calling and wanting to find out how they could help and how they could assist. And at the same time, there were processes happening in the country on, on our government side of things that frustrated the system um, while we all kind of figured everything out. So I think it was a very chaotic time in, in our country's history. And I had to find clarity through the chaos. Mm. And a lot of it was way beyond my control. So I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was how to deal with the things that I can control and accept the things that I can't. Mm. Mm. But I also, I think I gained valuable experience in how to coordinate the logistics and, and how to bring a community together for action. Mm. Um, the southeastern United States moved over 400,000 pounds of relief items into the Bahamas mm. from all sorts of different places, from Tennessee to um, Kentucky uh, to North and South Carolina, Alabama and Arkansas. Um, people came from everywhere to aid the Bahamas and, and assisting and spearheading the coordination of that was probably one of my re most rewarding experiences in my career. Mm. Now, so, I mean, you know, sometimes as a leader, because it, your role carries so much responsibility, um, there are days where it feels heavier than usual, you know? Um, and sometimes, you know, we can get, caught up in feelings of despondence um, it's very easy to get stuck in a web of self-doubt you know um, how have you managed that how do you navigate those days where you feel just completely overwhelmed by the responsibility that your role carries mm, I feel this so frequently <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all too familiar but I think I am motivated by the fact that I really, really uh, love my country. Mm. Um, it gets me excited to talk about the Bahamas. Um, and and I'm so very passionate about seeing us progress. Mm. And so I remember 
when in those days when I'm feeling down, I try to remember that it's not about me. Mm. That if somebody else was in the role, they would I would pray and hope that they ha- felt the same responsibility that I do, mm. so that they can take it seriously every step of the way. Mm. Um, but I think in other ways, I've been able to keep a very strong circle of support mm. around me. And those people help me in my worst hours. So mm-hmm. sometimes I send out the bat signal and one of my my female mentors or one of my friends will respond very quickly with an uplifting word or some advice to help me get unstuck. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it's it's valuable to not go through it on your own. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to talk about it so that you rationalize some sometimes the feelings that we have Mm -hmm. and this issue of self-doubt I don't let that sink in Mm -hmm. for very long Mm -hmm. it may come into my mind but I try my best to push it far on the outskirts Mm, absolutely um you know so our our experience within the workplace um as women is a lot different from the way that men generally experience the workplace um, and particularly if you're a black woman or a woman of color, your experiences are largely different from that of non-black women um, because we understand the various nuances that exist within the workplace. Um, we understand that there are various microaggressions that pop up within the workplace that are influenced by race issues, by gender issues, by sexual orientation issues. Um, what are some of the key lessons that you've picked up over the years that you can share with other women to help them navigate their careers? Yeah, um, I think one of the one of the things that I value most is hard work and preparation. Hmm. Um, and no matter how many times I walk into a room and I can very clearly see that somebody is bothered by my presence. Um, I find that the preparation beforehand, before I walk into that room, Mm. helps me with my confidence. Mm. Um, When I open my mouth, I want to be able to speak from a place of understanding and knowledge. Mm. Um, I think that helps to to get it out. Mm. But one of those nuggets, uh, um, sometimes I have mantras that I say to myself often, and one of them is, speak up even if your voice shakes. So I never apologize for being in a room. Mm. I never apologize for having an opinion. Mm. Um, And I tell myself quite often that I belong at the table. Mm. Because sometimes you walk into a room and you're just so isolated or you're so uh, alone Mm. that you think that it's because you don't belong there. And that is absolutely untrue. Mm. Um, Additionally, I try to bring my authentic self into the room whenever I can. We hear a lot about this word now, being authentic, but mm. I'm I'm comfortable in my skin. Mm. I know that I belong at the table. I've earned my place at the table. Mm. And so I don't try to be somebody else when I walk in the room. Mm. I think that's, you know, um, really amazing to hear because I have um, a, a, a platform called Connected, which is a membership platform uh, based platform for black professional women, uh, which I run for a, you know, it's a year long program. And one of the things, well, some of the things that pop up just in terms of the conversations that I have with the women who are members of the program 
is you know the the feelings of not being good enough you know the feelings of um not being included of feeling like you know you're not you're not heard you're not seen um so i think that it it has become so difficult for so many women to be able to tap into their authentic selves and bring that person into the workplace you know we also have a lot of conversations now and this is also on social media around code switching where so many particularly black women have this you know this this thing that i know that when i walk into the workplace in the morning i need to leave my black self at the door and bring a version of me that is less threatening a version of me that is acceptable to the people in the work environment because when i don't then i am labeled all of these things that are negative and associated to blackness or to black womanhood so it's always so encouraging to hear a black woman saying that she is in a space where she knows that she can show up as her authentic self in every space that she's in yes absolutely i think it's a freeing feeling mm-hmm. um and and i always encourage anyone that that asks me um to do the same thing to find the courage to be okay mm-hmm. in your skin mm-hmm. um I I don't know about code switching so much because I spent a lot of time living outside of the country where people literally just did not understand me. Mm. So in order to be understood and not repeat myself over and over, I had to speak more, I guess, pro- better English or or enunciate better, I'm not sure. Mm. Um but that doesn't stop me from being an island girl. Mm. You know, that doesn't stop me from wearing my shell jewelry um and laughing at things that I find funny and explaining why I think they're funny or how they relate to my culture or um I think there's ways that we can bring our authentic self into the room uh without disrupting the purpose of a, a meeting or without, you know, calling additional attention to yourself, but you it's important that you bring who you are to the table because that voice um and the message and all the experiences that you walk into a room with mm. um they need to be heard they're valuable mm. Mm. absolutely now global travel bans have meant that for most of us we can only dream about vacations on sandy beaches you know um i've definitely have been spending a lot of time on instagram and on google just looking at sandy beaches and just being like oh my gosh <laughs> can the airports open can we please travel can i get out of here <laughs> right um and the bahamas has featured on many of our bucket lists but there's more to the country than breathtakingly beautiful beaches what are some of the things that you love the most about the Bahamas and what would people be surprised to learn about your country? Hmm. Uh, the thing that I love most is so many of them. Um I think the thing that I value the most is the isolated beaches, the ones that are not um the most common. Mm-hmm. So I love the southern Bahamas uh and there there's beaches that you can go on and it's just you. Mm. Just you and the fishes. And so I still value that. Um the wildlife is something that we don't talk about a whole lot in in our um advertisements and those kinds of things, but the Bahamas has a very diverse um set of wildlife, flora and fauna. Mm. And so bird watching is one of my favorite pastimes. 
mm-hmm. uh, kayaking through the mangroves. We have an extensive mangrove system, one of the largest in the world. Um, and just some of the the simple things that you take for granted. You get on a boat and you're you're in the water, and a pod of dolphins will get beside your boat and start swimming alongside the boat. So it's it's those types of things and experiences that I think that people will will get to experience when they visit the Bahamas. Mm. And I encourage all your listeners that when they do visit the Bahamas, that they take um, the unbeaten path. Mm. Most people go to the capital, Nassau, New Providence, mm. or they go on the cruise ship to one of the small keys. And you'll have a beautiful experience. You'll, you'll get to see our waters and um, take part in the culture. But I think going off the beach, path and exploring some of the other 700 islands that makes up our country Mm. would give a lifetime experience Mm. Um, and the thing that I think is most surprising or the the thing that people would find the most um, interesting about the country is the people Mm. Um, and our creativity Mm. there is a national festival called Junkanoo Mm-hmm. It happens every year in December, and it's a tradition that has its roots in slavery in, in the times that we had plantations in the Bahamas. Mm. And it is just remarkable to see the creativity of our people and what they can do with the very bare minimum of materials, mm. um, the beautiful costumes and fabrics, and uh, the the beautiful display of music and color mm. that is that annual festival. Um, and I encourage everybody to come to the Bahamas in December uh, and take part in our Junkanoo Festival. It'll be an experience that you would never forget. That sounds absolutely amazing. And for people who would love to uh, connect with you online or to see your work or to just, you know, find out more about what you're doing, where can they uh, connect with you online? Uh, there are quite a few channels. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I'm at Astra and Bristol Roll mm-hmm. on across all platforms. Um, the Bahamas Consulate is also on all platforms, and you can find that by just searching for the Bahamas Consulate General Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they can see some of the work that we've been doing. And our website, our consulate's website is www.baconga.com. B-A-H-C-O-N-G-A. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for having this conversation with me, Esther on Bristol, Consul General to Atlanta for the Bahamas. It's been such an incredible conversation uh, with you. And also, I'm just, it's so great to be able to chat to incredible women from all over the world about the work that they're doing, about your ideas on leadership um, and your hopes for this world going forward. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to the show. Uh, I hope your listeners enjoyed what we had to say today. And I hope I'll be back again. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us for another episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sile Bolani. I'll see you again next time. 